This podcast is a Tofop production. Head to tofop.com for more. The following episode of Tofop is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. Tofop advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. Oh, I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. Uh, congratulations, Will. It's a boy. Uh, it's a fully grown boy. Uh, Podcast Mike has uh, decided that we are his new parents. He just told us before we started recording that uh, uh, he was meant to catch up with his parents, but they burnt him. And so you and I are now his mum and dad. Congratulations. Well, actually, what he told us earlier was that he'd have to drop out of the conversation early because he was going to catch up with his parents. And then we were like, okay, so what time are you dropping out? And he goes, no, it's off. And we assumed somewhat arrogantly that he might have burnt his parents for us. That he was like, you know what? I've got my priorities in order. I've got to go and help out Will and Charlie make their little comedy conversation between two old mates. You know, they pay me. My parents don't pay me anymore. Like, I've got to know where my bread is actually buttered. But it turns out that his parents got a better offer <laughs> and they burnt Mike. I, I remember, and I don't know if I'm like maybe over the, over the years, my brain has exaggerated this story, but I'm pretty sure I had a friend who when he graduated high school or when he got into university, his dad presented him with a bill for like the last five years of schooling or something, like his high school, like shoes, books, uh, maybe even petrol from driving him to like foot the footy and stuff like that. But like he got a bill. He had to work off like a a, a $1,000 bill from his his dad. Now, I, I know it happened. I can't remember the exact figures or, or what he was charged for. But have you ever heard of anything like that where parents are like, you owe me? I mean, my mum, we had to pay board. Like when we got to 18, we had to pay her. We had to contribute to the household, you know, like the, the bills and stuff like that. So we paid board. That was fair enough. But yeah. billing when, someone when, for- when we graduated high school, we had to contribute to the household by fucking off out of the household. <laughs> that was the rule at our house. Oh, was it fucked. really? Get the fuck out. Yeah. I mean, I remember my parents were very firm about it. Like I just remember them telling me one day because we never had- any inbuilt incentives at all. Like there are other kids who got like, you know, $200 if you get an A or if you get this much on your VCE, we're going to like buy you a car or any of these sort of things. Like right. growing up on a farm, you know, we worked on the farm. We got paid, like our parents paid us to work on the farm. So we had a little bit of money put aside to, you know, cover our first car or, you know, any of those sort of things that you might want to do, go away to university or, you know, go on an overseas holiday or whatever it might be. So, but we had to work for it the entire time. And there was definitely... Always, I remember my mum very clearly saying that it's your parents' job to raise you until you can look after yourself and then you've got to have raised them well enough that they want to leave. Like they always thought that was part of the job. Like, you know, the the kids should want to leave. Not leave because home is a terrible situation, but leave because they've been prepared to be an adult properly and you should be super excited about going out into the world on your own and making your own way in the world. And I think if my parents did one I mean, my parents did lots of things well, I think, but like if there's one thing I think they did really well, it was always instilled in us 
that real sense of, yeah, we'll help you and look after you. But basically, once you're an adult, like the whole point is that you're meant to be on your own. I can't quite remember how it worked. I remember with my older siblings, like uh, generally everyone moved out within one or two years of graduating high school, but there were obviously like return periods and you know, my, my brother came back when, in his mid-20s and we even shared a bedroom when he was, like, he's 12 years older than me. We shared a bedroom for a couple of years while he came back. Did, he did four, found himself in Perth for four years, came back broke, needed to come home, find a, a job, get back on his feet. And then, you know, he met his, who is now is his wife and all that kind of stuff. But I do also remember that was mum's kind of subtext. Now, can I just say, did, did he meet his wife while he was – how old were you when you were sharing a bedroom with him? Oh, I would have been like 10 and he was, yeah, 22. No, I, he, he was moved out of home by then. Right. And so did he meet his Did he meet his wife while he was sharing a bedroom with a 10-year-old? I actually can't remember. It's a good question. I, I, I want to say – I mean, that's impressive. That's impressive, you, like, about your personality, the strength of your personality that you can woo someone to marry them when you're still sharing a bedroom. I honestly can't remember him. I can remember Jamie moving out when he was 18. Like, he definitely – because he had a – Part, he had a, a flat on Duke Street, like a you know, like a like your your first crash flat, like that you have with your mates. Because mm-hmm. I remember I went to a party there once. He was babysitting me one weekend. Mum said, "Take your brother out." So he took me to a. He was eighteen or nineteen. He took me to his flat and he had a party. <laughs> like so, you can imagine what I saw there. Like I was six or seven, and like I remember like, and it was in the eighties, and you know he was into heavy metal, and all his mates were into heavy metal, and so. It was like a lot of drinking and shit getting smashed. And I remember he had a massive fight with his girlfriend. And like I walked in on his, him fighting with his girlfriend and he yelled at me and I burst into tears and someone had to like take me home. Like it was a real fucking disaster. But then I, but so then he went to WA for a few years and then he came back when dad got sick. And then that period he was home. But I, it's a good question because in my mind, so dad got sick in 89. He got married in 93. So there's a four-year period where he must have met his wife. He must have moved out of home, but I don't remember that. So there is a chance that he was bunking with me when he met his future <laughs> wife. And she was like, oh, all right, you're cute. You're funny. <laughs> I guess I can put up the, with the weird fact that you'd still share a bedroom with your 10-year-old brother. Yeah, like was his pickup line, I currently share a bedroom and I'm looking to share a bedroom with somebody else who isn't my 10-year-old brother. <laughs> maybe. I think You know what I think maybe smoothed it over? And this is why football is a is a wonderful – she was a Saints supporter. Like they met at his work. They both worked together. They both turned out to follow the Saints. They started going to the footy together. And then me and my brother were going to the footy. He would take me. And so she met me very early on. So maybe <laughs> – like maybe I I kind of like smooth things over. She's like when she first met him, she's like it's a bit weird. I don't know he shares a bedroom with his ten year old brother. But then she met me and she's like, that's a fucking cool ten year old. If you're going to share a bedroom with any ten year old, it's that one. Okay, so are you saying that like there might be a chance that the reason that they are together is that you brought your A game to those encounters? No, I I think it. I think that maybe the fact that I was a Saint supporter, like you know what it's like. Where you can meet someone you have no nothing in common with, but they go for the bulldogs, and you're like, okay, they can't be too bad. <laughs> like we have, well, at least we have something <laughs> in common. So maybe that kind of helped sweeten the deal. I do remember because my brother and I were really close when he got came back, and you know, obviously after dad dying, 
you know, I, we bonded really close and, you know, we, we hung out all the time and he took me lots of places and stuff. And I remember when he brought his wife home getting jealous, like, because I'd met her a few times at the football and stuff. But then I remember him bringing her home for family dinner and me sort of sitting at the table and being like, what the fuck's going on here? Wait, wait a minute. Like, you're trying to take my brother away from me. Like, yeah. And getting really kind of like, I don't like this. I do not like this. <laughs> She is not getting to sleep in my bed in the bedroom. You don't have any understanding of how it works. Yeah. Well, it's funny uh, you should bring up me as a 10-year-old world because I've just been cleaning up the office and I found a whole bunch of stuff um, uh, from when I was a kid, diaries and journals and all this kind of stuff. So I thought today we could take a little uh, a walk down memory lane uh, with Charlie Clawson. Um, I have three things here from different time periods. So I'll let you choose. So there is a, um, a fairly emo period, which we've sort of delved into before with, mm -hmm. which is like my high school period. I found, um, I, I didn't realize I had two journals that I kept while I was in India. So I've, I found the second journal, uh, with a particularly funny entry. Um, or we can go way back to when I was in grade three or grade four. And, um, my friends and I were really into <laughs> shows how things haven't changed that much. We, we used to do a, a pretend radio show. We'd go to my mate Martin's <laughs> place with a tape deck and a blank tape and we would do a, a, a radio show. Back then I lisped quite heavily and the sponsor of um, the radio show was Kids Biv. Do you remember that uh, toy company, Kids Biz? <laughs> so I'd often introduce a show as being brought to you by Kids Biv. Um, so this is a little – now. Can I can I ask this though? Um, it, it had an actual sponsor. No, 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 no. It was just because we watch TV and we realize, you know, you just pick stuff up as a kid that TV shows have sponsors. We attached a a, a fictional sponsor to our show, which was called Good Night Australia. Yeah. So here, he, he's yeah, okay. But now here is my question: yeah. Why then did you make it a sponsor's name that you could not say? <laughs> because I was a kid and I watched Saturday morning cartoons and kids biz. Always advertised on on like the early bird show or whatever I was watching. So <laughs> it wasn't I wasn't like a, a Monty Python biggest dickest uh, kind of sketch. Where it's like, well, maybe it was. Maybe my mate set me up. I don't know. Well, you know what it is. Maybe it also was a copyright issue. Like if you'd actually said kids beers, you might have got sued because you weren't sponsored by kids beers. But as long as you're <laughs> being sponsored by kids beers, everything's fine. Kids 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 beers. Um, yeah, so the show we did was called, it was called Goodnight Australia. Um, and I'm assuming it was a talk show. Mm. So this is a little script. What time did it come out at night, do you think? Like this talk show? Like, do you think it was a, a night time show? It was show? like a 9.30 yeah. kind of show. Um, I mean, what would it, so I've even, this is, this is dated. So it's the 14th of the 10th, uh, 1986. So I would have been nine. Nine years old. Um, so what would have been on? So it would have been Hey Hey It's Saturday. It would have been Early Bird Show in the Morning. Did we have any – before? it's pre-Steve Visor. We didn't – in Melbourne Tonight, was that a thing? Graham Kennedy maybe? Coast, maybe coast, to, coast Kennedy. to Coast with Graham Kennedy and – who was the other guy? Okay. Kenny, Kenny – no, Stuart Sutcliffe. Who was, the, who was his offsider on Graham Kennedy Coast to Coast? Do you remember? The guys just laugh a lot. No, it's I like don't remember. All right. Okay. Anyway, so this is a, a little 
sketch, I guess, I wrote for Goodnight Australia. Mm-hmm. It's called Horror Stars Out of Work. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and it begins. Hello, all, and welcome to Goodnight Australia. Tonight, we're going to be interviewing horror stars that have retired. <laughs> you on board? <laughs> I am on board so far. Feels like actually a pretty solid premise for a bit. Like retired horror stars. So, like, I'm just going to guess that, you know, like if I was writing this sketch, if we came in, it was like it was my week to host Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I've, something's happened. Something I've done's blown up. They've given the opportunity to host Saturday Night Live. I've gone into one of those famous writers' meetings where they're pitching me a whole bunch of ideas and they're like, retired horror movie stars. Yeah. All right. Great. I'm in. I can see where this sketch is going. It's really a question of semantics. Stars might be misleading because that suggests like Bella Lugosi or, you know, Boris Karloff. What I meant mm-hmm. is like, horror characters horror icons retired a retirement home for yeah oh yeah that's, that's what, what i assumed, assumed right. yeah okay. i mean it's a much okay. funnier <laughs> sketch if you'd gone the other way <laughs> i would have been like you know what i think we can punch this up if we make him freddy <laughs> krueger and michael myers rather than bella lugosi i just feel like it might might hit a little harder well i just remember at this mm. age sort of around eight nine ten i was obsessed with the nightmare on elm street movies it was one of those things where you know, I was fascinated by them, but also scared by them. I, I think I didn't have the guts to watch one all the way through, but like whenever they were shown late night, Channel 9, you know, Saturday night, I would watch a little bit until I got scared or my sisters might have taped it or something and I would watch. So I, was, I had enough of an idea about it. I think I've even told this story that in one of my art classes um, when I was a kid, I got in trouble because I, in watercolour, I painted this like scene of a massacre. It was all these dismembered teenagers and Freddy Krueger standing above them like his bloody claw glove and that was enough for the teacher to kind of call mum in for the is everything okay at home so I would there was a real which proves by the way that those movies are a little bit more realistic than they appear to be because that is also the reaction of all the parents in those yeah. movies every time some like kid like has some portent of the future and draws a picture of Freddy Krueger and they're like what's wrong with this kid and you're like hang on maybe there is a murderer in our nightmares have you considered that I mean, it, it should be stated too that um, Gemma and Iona have been away for a few days because um, I needed some time to, to to work on this thing I've been writing. And so um, I finished up my work yesterday and I was like, oh, fuck, I, I've got like the whole house to myself. I can literally eat and watch whatever I want. And so I sat down with every streaming channel available to me and was like, okay, like let's watch a good movie, a good movie that – Gemma was not necessarily going to want to watch. And so I started with this George Clooney film um, with Ben Affleck called like Raising the Bar or Above the Bar, which is like some biopic based on some writer's memoir. And I literally got like, I reckon five minutes into it. And I'm like, I do not, I am not enjoying this. It had this like Wonder Years vibe to it with the, the, the narrator kind of, you know, I was 10 years old at the time and I didn't know it, but my mother and I, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not into this. And then after dipping around all the streaming services, Um, I think Stan suggested to me Nightmare on Elm Street 5. And I was like, huh, I think this is the one Nightmare on Elm Street film I haven't seen. And so last night I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 5, which is probably the worst of the entries, but I had a really good time. So clearly not much has changed in uh, 40 years or 35 years. Okay, so back to Um, the script. Can I I just quickly, just before we get back to the script, I'll just quickly tell you one thing. I watched um, Spider-Man last night, but the internet that was one hotel that I'm staying at is – 
that was one of my other options, but I, I had to pay for it. And I was like, I'm not going to pay 24 bucks for a film that I'm probably not going to like. Well, I'm, I'm just doing my show and then just literally coming back to my hotel room so that I can, you know, try to stay well to keep doing my shows. And so after a while, I was like, you know what, I'm going to like actually, actually watch a movie, not do some work and do something else. I'm going to sit down and watch a movie. But yeah. the internet here is so bad that like it would stop every like five or ten minutes. And I quite yeah. like the movie, but gee, I wish I'd seen it at the cinema because – you, I, this that won't spoil anything because I'm sure you you know some of the reveals that are in the movie anyway. But there are so many moments where some famous old character appears on screen in this movie, and literally in the movie, it must have said in the script, "Pause for applause." You know, so they literally do that thing where, like, <laughs> you know, they they pop up, and you can tell they've left a beat in the movie for everyone in the cinema to just go absolutely wild. Oh my god, I can't believe that character's back! This is amazing. Before they move on with the dialogue, so every time one of these classic characters comes in, I'm just sure it must have said in the shooting script, "Pause for applause." But when you take the audience <laughs> away, and you're just alone in a hotel room. I kept thinking the internet wasn't working, that it had stopped, and then I realised, oh, no, hang on, <laughs> the, the movie just stops for like 15 seconds for people to applaud Toby Maguire. <laughs> That's interesting because they definitely would have market-tested mm. like a big tentpole like that. So I wonder if they actually did do that, is they went, had the test screenings, like, oh, man, every time Toby Maguire... Uh, turns up like the audience goes nuts. We're going to have to go back into the edit and just extend that. And it's like, we don't have any extra footage of it. It's like, can you just yeah. freeze frame it? <laughs> just just hold the hold on the shot a bit longer? Just do like an artificial yeah. freeze yeah, frame? Yeah, every 15 minutes, one of the um, characters just looks like a gif, just going back and forward, back and forward yeah. for 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. So, um, horror stars out of work. Okay, so I then go, we will start off with Freddy from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And for a massive fan of Nightmare on Elm Street, I've misspelled Freddy. One D, I, E. So more like Free Die. <laughs> Free Die. <laughs> Free Die from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, well, it seems old Freddy is selling razor blades, and I think he knows his razor blades. <laughs> I was nine, all right? So, you know, just go easy. But even as a nine-year-old, I'm like, that's that's pretty low-hanging fruit. Like, we could probably – let's just keep working on that idea, I'm, eh? You just don't go for the first thing you think He's got knives of. for hands, Freddy Krueger, right? Well, he's not Edward Scissorhands, but he has yeah. like, you know – A knife A knife glove. glove. So, like, selling razor blades isn't actually – it's going to be fiddly with a knife glove, you know? Like – you want to be using the knife, glove, razor blade you no. have. Like he wants to be like working in a kitchen or like, you know, doing something doing something I, with the knife, so I would have thought. Again, I think it's clumsy language. I think he's endorsing oh, razor okay. blades is what I'm thinking. He's a spokesperson. He's like on the cover of the yeah. magazine. Yeah, Gillette. No. It's a Gillette Mac 3. Helps you slice oh, yeah. up teenagers. They're the, razor, bra they're the razor blade life. of your dreams from the Freddy from the yes. nightmare. Ah, oh, perfect. That's good. Okay. Um, now, for some reason, I just drop off like modern horror icons because naturally you'd think, oh, I've done Freddy, I'll do Jason, I'll do Mike Myers. But now I start going into like the old universal horror characters because maybe that was just the breadth of my knowledge. Right. Um, and now we go to the Wolfman. Um, and good old Wolfie. What's Wolfie up to? Is selling hair tonic to bald oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> selling hair tonic 
to bald people. Now, it seems that my joke structure comes along. What is the first thing you think of when you think of this person? And then the the punchline is, well, they sell that to the public now. I mean, again, it's the, like wolf, hair? the wolf man did grow spontaneously a lot of hair. So people would be going, oh, my God, you used to not be very hairy and now you're really hairy. What is your secret? And so if he then told you, I've been down at Ashley and Martin or the advanced hair studio or like rub this lotion on your scalp, then I think that you would take that endorse in the same way as if Freddy Krueger is endorsing razor blades. You're like, that's a guy who knows his razor blades. I would think when it comes to the mm. Wolfman, that's a guy who knows what it's like to spontaneously grow a lot of hair. So it is someone you might go to for for advice. I think you're in the you're in the ballpark. But do you think it's but it's in a, like if if like a lupine syndrome was a real thing that you know every full moon some members of the population just sprouted hair that would be considered like it'd be considered like a medical mm. condition. And I don't know. Like you want hair on your head, you don't want hair all over your body, including your face. Like, would he be a spokesperson, someone who has this kind of like unwanted medical condition? Well, no, because it'd be that this sort of like, I mean, to use modern day terms. So imagine one of those Ashley and Martin, you know, style ads, right? Like, so mm -hmm. hi, it's me, yep. the Wolf Man, and uh, I used to be. They put up one of those before photos, so it's Wolf Man before he was a Wolf Man. This was me, completely devoid of hair. And then uh, the full moon comes along and look at this. Here I am completely <laughs> covered in hair. Down at Ashley and Martin, they've learned how to harness the power uh, of right, a yeah. constant full moon through their revolutionary technology and put it only on the bald parts of your head. And so then you see some sort of like, you know, graphic of like the moon being funneled through this sort of like futuristic machine that's just like going onto someone's head and growing hair. And that's like the technology behind and that's what Wolfie's you know, that, that would That's be a good question, yeah. though, like when it comes to lupine syndrome, and I don't know. Hey, uh, Mike, can you just Google online what in the Twilight universe or something, what do they call, like what is, is like vampirism is you're a vampire. What's the term for if you're a wolf man, like a, a werewolf, werewolfism, were, werewolf, whatever it is. But if you are a bald person, like why would you suddenly be able to sprout hair? I mean, I think it'd be a, a lot funnier if there were certain bald werewolves, like – they can't, the, the, the disease you have or the condition you have doesn't make you, it, it makes the hair you have accelerate. But like, if you're someone who's already bald, like you're Hulk Hogan, you know, you, you're not suddenly growing hair on top of your head. Like that little thing that Hulk has out the back, that'll grow longer, but he's not suddenly growing. And so you would have bald werewolves running around. I mean, sometimes people say this is an energy podcast, but the fact that we're uh, <laughs> wading into the world of humor about bald people so recently after what happened at the oscars is is remarkable but let's uh i think you're right i like the idea because like sometimes for example my brother he's going bald on the top of his head but he grows a much more impressive beard and he has like chest hair and stuff in a way that i so i've got lots of hair on top of my head but i like can't grow a good beard don't have a lot of chest hair mm. body hair so it's not unusual that someone can be balding on top but still have heaps of other hair on their body. So I think you're right. Yeah. I like the idea. Like this – That you just can't grow it where it's not there. Right. That there are still <laughs> but then it's werewolves. Sort of like they're completely covered. Yeah. But otherwise and then, they're just thinning on the top. They're combing it over so none of the other werewolves notice. And then you could – the reverse is like me where yeah. I'm super hairy from like the neck up and hairy from the knees down, but I'm relatively like hairless – here so when the full moon strikes i get super hairy but i'm still like basically naked which is 
a problem if you're a werewolf because at least your genitalia gets covered. You know, when you go to the transformation, your werewolf dick gets hidden by the wear the wolf fur. But for me, because I don't grow hair there anyway, <laughs> like I'm just going to be running around with my werewolf dick. It's going to be really embarrassing for me. I'm, like before a full moon, I'm going to have to strap a merkin on, <laughs> like some kind of like wolf fur merkin. I do love the idea that the werewolf late power only works in places that you're already growing hair <laughs> because <laughs> that would just mean for me that if I turned into a werewolf, I would have even like higher hair on the top of my head <laughs> and then just like a couple of really long strands of hair out of my nose, <laughs> some out of my ears and like a couple of rings around my nipples and that'd be about it. He's like, he's a werewolf, but that's it. Well, the good thing about that too is it makes you kind of identifiable. Like in film lore, mm. you know, a werewolf becomes a werewolf and it just appears like a monster. No one really knows what it is. It's just this wolf man. <laughs> but if the werewolf was just exaggerated versions of your own features, like for instance, you could recognize Kevin Bartlett as a werewolf really, really easily, couldn't you? Because right. it's like, oh, well, it's still like he's got lots of hair here and a few of those hairs are brushed over here. But, you know, it's essentially the, the same guy. It's just Kevin Bartlett if he was a wolf. Yeah, no, I think that um, I think that's a good idea. In fact, I, I think this should be incorporated as part of werewolf law, is that werewolves only grow hair in places where they were already pre-existing growing hair. <laughs> Okay, so um, we've established the rhythm of these jokes. Mm -hmm. So okay. um, I, I, I can let you even guess uh, where I'm going next with this one. And wouldn't you know it, Frankenstein mm -hmm. now. Uh, Frankenstein now. So, okay. So now I assume you're talking about Frankenstein's monster in this. Frankenstein's rather monster. Rather than Dr. Yeah, Frankenstein. Um, I am. And, and, and I will say that my answer actually makes no sense. Like this is not actually a... It's not a job. It's not an occupation. I mean, I guess it kind of is. You could potentially work here, but what I'm describing is not. I don't think it's a a job. It's a. It's more of a location than a than an occupation. Oh, so is it a kind of like? Well, okay. Uh, Frankenstein. Like, I mean, he's made a. What's spare, the defining? He's got a bolt in his neck. Yeah. Yeah, you more. It's more the bolt in his neck. He it's, works at a garage. Uh, he endorses a garage. He uh... <laughs> he work. He works at an electrical plant. <laughs> which you can see, my little nine-year-old mind is now real reaching because I'm like, oh, geez, like, what's the defining? You got like knives. That's easy. Hair, but now Frankenstein. Well, I mean, you're right. I should have gotten le leaned more into the body part thing, but I think as a nine-year-old, I was probably ignorant to the actual origin of the of of mary shelley's frankenstein and that he was assembled out of body parts i think i'm going more to the universal oh he's just this big green thing that is um you know that is brought back to life with a lightning bolt i mean i guess that is a good endorsement for electricity though like i mean particularly if you manage to convince frankenstein's monster to be like you know a lobbyist for the fossil fuel industry you know that they, <laughs> yeah, they right. were just like well i've got to be honest with you they wouldn't have been able to bring me back to life if they were using solar panels would they i mean you just can't generate that amount of electricity with wind that's what i would say what happens when the wind doesn't blow anyway i'm frankenstein's yeah. monster <laughs> um okay i'll let you guess this next one as well the creature from the black lagoon is giving swimming lessons Swimming um, lessons, well done. You have the mind of a nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame oh. is a – now, this is – I don't know how I got to mm. this point. 
I'm going to say that because the Hunchback of Notre Dame in the in the movies, at least, he's, you see him swinging off gargoyles and shit like that. So that's that's kind of where I'm okay. pitching it. He's like a roof. He's a like a window cleaner. He's a chimney sweep. No, he's a- more to do with like athletic pursuits. Oh, okay. Um, the Hunchback. Of he's Not- a teacher. He's a teacher as well. What's he teaching? Gymnastics. Yes, he's a gym instructor. Oh. oh my god! <laughs> like, really running out of obviously like readily identifiable traits about these famous characters. Well, he now got rid of one. like he went to the gym, got rid of his hunch. Yeah, you know, now he's doing a whole bunch yeah. of like endorsements about some super machine that he's got that'll actually get rid of your bad posture as well. It's a little thing that shocks you. It's a little bell on the back of your neck that shocks yeah. you every time you lean over. <laughs> uh, okay. Count Dracula, what does he do? Works at the blood bank. Works at a blood bank. <laughs> and then, but he takes more, but he takes mostly deposits. Huh? 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 You like that? <laughs> what does the mummy do, Will? Um, uh, she got, raises her kids, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually similar to the Frankenstein dilemma where clearly I'm like, uh, I can't think of. I mean, okay, well, let, let, let's break it down to like a nine-year-old level. What's the most identifiable defining trait of the mummy? Wrapped visually? in bandages. Wrapped in bandages. So the mummy, I say, runs a material factory. <laughs> <laughs> Not even works at Spotlight or, you know, is a paramedic or something to do with bandages. Works in a material factory. So much like... Runs an electrical plant, runs a material factory is the most generic, vague <laughs> occupation going around. Oh, no. Sorry. I missed a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, the mummy runs a material factory in Egypt. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> Close to home. Close to the pyramids if you just want to pop home, pick something up. Um, uh, what's the mad professor doing? <sighs> what's is the-, the mad professor actually like a distinctly iconic horror character? The mad- I mean, it's a trope, right? Right, I can't. I mean, I can't. It, I did not know that there was an original archetypal mad professor. It's just like it is a character type rather than like a Frankenstein or a Dracula or something like that. So yeah, and what what's he doing? I don't know, making crystal meth. <laughs> it's nineteen eighty six. Well, come on, crystal meth doesn't exist yet. Making- He's a chemistry teacher okay. in Transylvania, which is kind of. Not far from the Walter White thing. I mean, Walter White was a high school was a high school chemistry, chemistry teacher. teacher. So, exactly. Know. This is just yeah, early on right. in the origin exactly. story. But you know, then he's around Transylvania for a while. Someone's <laughs> someone's selling some blue blood around town. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, what does Medusa do? Mm. Uh, are you familiar with Medusa? Uh, yeah, it's a head of snakes. So it's going to be a hairdresser or something to do with snakes. No. No, what? The, what's oh, no, her that's, power? What? What? Sorry, what? what no, that's all right. She, she does have the head of snakes, mm. but what's her um, power? What? What does she have the power to do? Oh, she can she turn people into stone nine. or something? She so she, she can turn people into stone. So what is she doing for a job these days in retirement? I mean, the funny thing is, the whole premise of this is horror stars in retirement. They also need working pretty bloody hard. <laughs> okay, They've all got second jobs. They're all doing basically the industry they're already in. Like these aren't real big <laughs> twists on what they're doing. Like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. The default it. for me works at a uh, stone shop. Makes stones. Get stoned. Te- it, 
this is this is similar to the Dracula, and there's a double bait to the the gag. Okay. Medusa, um, uh, uh, she's Medusa sculptures people in art class, and then in brackets I wrote, "It's a bit suspicious because they're so good." Ah, oh, right. How is it suspicious <laughs> when we're all aware that Medusa, <laughs> like that's a that is a mo? She turns people to stone. Like, are you the one guy walking into Medusa's art class going, "Wow, these sculptures are so <laughs> what?" Like, she's like, this? "Yeah, dude." A Medusa. <laughs> no, no, she I said do. that she carved these ones. She definitely didn't just turn people into stone, but they are amazingly <laughs> accurate. Um, okay. Um, what, what does the blob do? And much like Frankenstein and the mummy, mm. I'm just making up a thing here. This is not an actual job, I'm pretty sure. The uh, blob runs a... a blob factory? <laughs> Pretty much, the blob runs a jelly factory, <laughs> because as you know, Will, there are dedicated factories uh, uh, geared primarily towards the creation and generation of jelly. And what you want is a is a person who looks like jelly to run that factory. <laughs> wow, first hand experience. Um, and then I write, uh, "That's pretty disgusting, huh?" And then I wrap up with, "Well, I think that about wraps it up the show for tonight." <laughs> Oh, no, really? Please. I've got so much more gold to dispense. Um, oh, yeah. So but, I finished with, I finished hang on, with is a joke. This well, a, is this like a sketch or a, a monologue? Like, like it, it's really kind of taken the, the form of like a top 10 list or something, you know, top 10 you know, yeah. horror movie retirees. But it feels like to me you've welcomed people to the show, you've done your list, and now you're saying thank you very much, <laughs> good night. So is the entire show just this? One list. I I can't remember how we used to structure the show. I remember we used to take it. Well, there was two modes. We we wrote stuff that we would perform, like mock interviews and stuff like that, and then sketches like this. And then the rest of the time was recording our farts. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I'd be amazed if that tape, tape still exists because it would just be like intermittent love like children screeching into the microphone of this tape recorder and then just the sound of farts. Like, it'll be somewhere. Um, so I finished with, finish strong with a gag. Well, I think that about wraps up the show for tonight. I got that from the mummy. Get it? Wraps it up. <laughs> oh, well, good night. <laughs> and I've actually scripted, oh well, oh, well, good night. Almost like I was anticipating the lukewarm oh, well, response. Good night. <laughs> oh, well, good night. <laughs> Shouldn't more shows finished like that oh well good night oh mate there are a few jokes in my show that like are, oh well good night jokes and like <laughs> and I, I would love after each one of them to just say oh well good night <laughs> so how has it been because you didn't get to do your normal run-in for no. this show where you do your you know your trial shows and stuff so what's that process like when you're actually like on the big stage you know, paying audiences, paying full price in, you know, premier venues in Melbourne, finding your way through a show. What's that been like? It's been really interesting, actually. I mean, the show's, I think, in pretty good shape, like considering how little time I've had to put it on stage and work it out. So it obviously improves every night. That's just the way, like sometimes it gets to the point where you just need to put it on stage and start working on it on stage. But um, it's been an interesting experience just being here for the festival because it's still... Like, I mean, there's a lot more COVID cases down here at the moment, so there's still a really sort of cautious buzz around it all. It's not like everything's back. You do feel like you're 
doing this thing in this weird in-between period and even mm. just in the room half the people wear masks half the people don't like just in general nothing feels like we've arrived at a place yet it definitely feels still like yeah. we're just still working out how this is all going to look how it's all going to feel like yeah, you know, what the vibe of it is so it's been I'm, I'm glad to be back doing it I've, I've really been enjoying doing the shows but um but it's also been quite an interesting you know and even just that idea of because like part of the festival normally is the socialization aspect of it. You go and see other people's shows, you hang out and whatever. Mm. And because, you know, a bunch of people have got COVID and whatever, and I missed a week of the festival already. I've just been super paranoid about, I don't want to miss a week of the fucking festival for COVID. So I literally just do my show and then come back to the hotel room and just like hang out in the hotel room all day. So I think that's part of it as well is like, you feel like you're in this weird, social experiment yeah. where like you just live in a like a big brother house and then one hour a day you just go and yell at some people <laughs> and then you just go back to the room again it's weird i realized today i haven't left the northern rivers apart from the gold coast but you know that's like a 40 minute driveway i haven't been to melbourne or sydney in over a year which is like the longest i think i've been away from either of those two cities and i was thinking about it last night because jem was she took iona to melbourne for a few days to catch up with friends and see family and stuff and i was talking to her and, you know, she was sending me lots of photos. I was like, oh, it's so great, you know, to see Iona going to all these places that we used to hang out and stuff. And it's and I was like, isn't it weird? You know, we've talked a lot about on this show about nostalgia and, you know, how we sort of tend to flock back to the music we listen to and the, the comic books and the movies and all that kind of stuff. And even though I have not lived in Melbourne since I was 24, mainly lived in Sydney or up here now, I still consider myself like a Melbourne guy. Like, it's weird. Like, I have rejected everything <laughs> that Melbourne is. You know, I couldn't be further away. My lifestyle now could not be further from that kind of, you know, metropolis, cosmopolitan, you know, cafes on every corner lifestyle. Yet, I still claim, in, like, in my heart, it's like, it's, like I'm, I'm, it's like that guy having a midlife crisis. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm still, like, 23 and, you know, buff. And, and, and it's like, no, you're not. And it's like, I don't know I can claim to be a Melbourne boy anymore when, my entire time is spent wearing shorts and t-shirts and like, you know, sandals. Like, I don't, I haven't been to a cafe or seen a theater show or a stand-up show or a band like in a, in a pub venue in years now, but it's kind of like this thing that I'm holding on to. In fact, this week I have Claire Tonti on, on Fofop. We had a great chat and it, uh, the first half an hour is, is a bit like a therapy session because um, uh, when we recorded it, it was when, the Northern Rivers got hit with that second wave of flooding. And I was here on my own with Iona. Jem was off at a conference. Iona got really sick. I was minding a friend's dog for the first time who I didn't know and the dog wouldn't stop fucking barking. So I had like flood water coming in downstairs. I had a sick child and this baby and I was just stressing the fuck out. Like it was just two days of just stressing the fuck out. And then, you know, the only thing that seemed to save me was watching videos of five. <laughs> on youtube like watching like whatever videos i could find of five and as we talked about in this show i don't know what triggered this kind of interest in five but you know it just became this kind of like safe place for me so when i was talking to claire about it she was like oh yeah yeah i know what's going on here she said i talked to lots of mums on on my podcast and you're going through an identity crisis and i'm like what do you mean <laughs> she said well it happens a lot with parents when you know, you've gone from one lifestyle where you could do whatever you want and see whatever you want and, you know, experience anything. Now you're sort of in service of this, 
this child. And while you love that child and stuff, you do start to go, hang on, like, who am I again? And so the fact that I'm sort of retreating back to this late 90s boy band that I was never a fan of in the late 90s, it's not so much them or their music. I'm retreating back to a time in which I had no responsibility, you know, in which like I just moved to Sydney, you know, the the world was at my feet. I, I had everything in front of me. And so in some weird kind of like childhood, like or, or, or adult trauma kind of way, midlife crisis, I guess it is. Like my brain is going back to just give me things, give me, remind me of when the world was like a safe place. Remind me when the, you know, climate change was just this kind of concept. Remind me when, you know, uh, you didn't have responsibilities and you weren't going to die any second now. <laughs> like, and so that's, I guess, what I've been doing is this, like this weird insulation. And I think the Melbourne thing is another, like, another version of that where it's like, oh yeah, you know, when Gem and I first met, you know, we were living in Melbourne and we had our friendship group and Sunday sessions would be spent at the vineyard or, you know, you'd go to the pub somewhere and you didn't have any responsibility. You could drink all night on a Sunday night and not have anything to worry about on a Monday. And I don't know when, I'm hoping that this is just like a, a phase that, that I'm, I'm going through, that I will get over it and readjust and accept the fact of where I am presently. <laughs> I don't want to be retreating back into my memory of how good things were because I, I feel like I'm the uncle in Napoleon Dynamite who's always just talking about, you know, back when I was in high school, I was like the quarterback hero. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. But I also think that there's just a role for comfort spaces. So I we've talked about this before on the show, but the, the other night when I was – so I just came back here after the show and I couldn't get the internet to work well enough to watch a movie or anything. So, like, all I could do is, like, watch clips on YouTube. So – I'm just going through like, you know, songs and whatever on YouTube. And then eventually I find myself to the place that I always find myself to when I go down this hole on YouTube. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to watch Bruno Mars dance. And so, <laughs> and, and there's, since, since I last went down my watching Bruno Mars dance hole, there's been a whole bunch of new Bruno Mars dancing um, footage, oh, including okay. a 45 minute concert that um he put together so like i i sat and watched a 45 minute bruno mars concert at two o'clock in the morning the other morning and i was just like this is as safe as i have felt in a very yeah. long time like in a world that is absolutely terrifying for this 45 minutes i understand that i am in the safest entertainers i i think he is just and I mean this. I don't mean he is the most talented person in the world. I don't mean that he is the, um, you know, like you know the best musician or the best songwriter. But I think he is the best entertainer, like all round mm. entertainer, singer, dancer. Yeah. Just put on a show and like the fact that you know his his gang, his musicians and dancers, like the fact that you will see yeah. see a song performed different ways like you know you see them do it at the super bowl you see them do it at their concert you see that do them some music awards and they're not doing the same choreography they haven't set it up the same way they're not wearing the same clothes like the fact that every time they're doing it they've thought about it as a different performer like he that bruno mars i've never seen bruno mars in concert but i was like watching this concert film the other night just going when bruno if bruno mars ever comes to australia again, i am absolutely going to say bruno mars in concert i think there's certain artists like that where even if you're not a fan of their music like Beyonce I don't really listen to Beyonce's music but I've seen a bunch of her like concert films and stuff and she's incredible and it's really about 
the spectacle, you know, and the idea of actually, what was I watching? There was someone, uh, one of those music documentaries where they're talking about the first artist to really like um, art director a, a kind of concert. Like it wasn't, you know, back in the day it used to be the band would just come out and play, but then the idea of having like an artistic director, maybe who was it? It was someone who like people think is shit. Oh no, it was Grace Jones. Sorry, Grace Jones. I, I I don't know how I went on this Grace Jones rabbit hole, but I'm like, I don't really know anything about. We were watching an Andy Warhol documentary, and there's Grace Jones. And I'm like, oh, I'm aware of Grace Jones, but I don't really know who she was. And so then I found out that she was this like model, and then she became this avant-garde kind of artist and musician and a bit of a pop star in the late 70s, early 80s. But she was one of the first people who was like, Well, I'm mates with all these fashion designers and artists and stuff. I'm going to help them. I'm, I'm going to get them to help me design a show because I don't know what her musical ability was or even what her voice was like. But that's not why people went to see Grace Jones' show. They went to see the costumes and the lighting and, you know, the way that she would, you know, bring herself onto stage and stuff. And now you sort of expand that. It's been co-opted by pop stars where, you know, Miley Cyrus will get the dude from the Flaming Lips to be the creative director of her show. And so I had friends who would not listen to a Miley Cyrus song to save themselves, but they were going to the Miley Cyrus concert because they were like, it's fucking incredible. Like it's really, you know, the costumes and the props and everything like that. And so I can sort of understand that, but Bruno Mars, I would be quite happy to see like Bruno Mars unplugged. (laughs) Just like, if he's just going to come out and sing and, and do, and do a little dance, then I think, yeah, that, that he's kind of the opposite of that. Yeah. I mean, so I watched this 45-minute documentary concert film, you know, that promo film that they'd made. But then I just started going, I'm going to just watch them on every TV show they've done. So th- there's one that they do with on, El- on Ellen where they do Uptown Funk on Ellen. And, like, basically Bruno and his boys are in the front row of the audience and they've just, like, got the entire audience to do all the stuff behind them, like do the all the call and response stuff. And I'm just like, the fact that they went to all that effort, you know, like they, they they could have come in and just done the song, done their choreography, whatever, but they've clearly, and the charm that that man has. So this promo, you know, kind of record launch, you know, film thing, it's there's interstitials in between where he's going around Harlem, giving out free tickets and sort of like meeting characters around Harlem. And then him and his boys will just do these little pop-up stoop concerts and like in a restaurant or in a bar or whatever. And you, it just, like the level of just, brutal charm mm. that he has for a tiny little man. Like he is just <laughs> relentlessly charming. You've seen that footage of him as like a three-year-old Elvis impersonator. Have you seen that? There's like a, there's a clip well, of that he's online. Imp- he's imp- So this is how I got back. In, like this is how, uh, okay. So there's these things called the Kennedy Center yep. Honours. Do you yeah, know yeah, the Kennedy yeah, Center yeah. Honours? So yeah, so they're honouring some musician, and then they get like other musicians. Are you to talking play about the, the Sting one? The, the Sting Kennedy is this the one you're going to bring up, or the Police? The Sting? Because I've seen that one where Bruno performs I, I, for Sting. So Bruno performs Sting, yeah. and there's also one where he does Prince. Right, I haven't seen that one. And they're both unreal, but they're basically impressions. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like as in he has this capacity to be able to like super capture what those artists actually did, like vocally and stylistically and those sort of things. I actually went into it because I was watching Hart do a version of Stairway to Heaven to the Led Zeppelin guys. And if you've never seen it, like just seeing 
like them just crumble one by one on the balcony as they kind of witness Hart do this amazing version of Stairway to Heaven. It's just, but then, yeah, then I just went down that rabbit hole of just watching one after one after one. And then that, that got me onto Bruno Mars. Yeah, it is funny. Like, I think the difference with your like comfort food and my comfort food is mine swings between like, oh, yeah, um, you know, this sort of frozen in time boy band in the 90s and everything was possible. But then I will leap forward to present day and be like, oh, fuck, like, look at them now, three of them. And they're doing these kind of like town fairs. Like they, they do nightclub gigs and they'll do like, they'll do a tour if there's like a bunch of boy bands in the 90s. They'll do one of those, like it's a compilation jukebox sort of tour. Um, but there's the one guy in it, Jay, the rapper, who kind of just disappeared from the public eye. As soon as the band was done, he just retreated, didn't do anything. I have been like like a, a Bob Woodward. I've just been on the trail trying to fucking find out where is Jay, man? Like, And I'm like, this is the 2022 World Wide Web. I cannot find. There's not one skerrick of, of evidence of where he is now. And I, and I just want to know, is he okay? Where's he living? Like, does he still rap anymore? Because he had some pretty good flow back in the day. <laughs> when he was in five. But then the other part of me is like, but Charlie, he doesn't want to be found. Like that's why he's retreated from the public eye and doesn't have any social media. And like you can't find anything on him beyond he did an interview in 2013 to defend himself about what the other guys in the band said about him. And that was the last thing he did. And then I saw saw Abs being interviewed last year and the question was, do you keep in touch with any of the guys from the band? He said, yeah, I talked to Jay a fair bit. And I'm like, oh, Good. So Jay's still alive. I feel okay. But if anyone out there can give me some info, and I don't want you to intrude on his privacy. Like, I don't want, if you live in the UK, I don't want you like snapping photos of Jay wherever he is now. But if you just can tell me that he's okay, just let me know that Jay's all right and he's happy in his life of anonymity. That will, I think that will help kind of me just um, detox from my five kind of overload. I, I want to separate from this now. It's been, it's been two to three weeks now of me gorging on all this five bullshit for comfort. And obviously, you know, cause I've lost my identity, <laughs> but I'm ready now to, to move on. But I think I can only move on once I have some closure around what, what Jay's doing. Is Jay okay? Is that's Jay all, okay? Well, that's all we want to know. <laughs> is Jay okay? Hashtag is Jay okay. <laughs> um, what, just one more little guilty pleasure to yep. watch. This isn't a huge show and it's like, you only have to watch a couple of episodes, but I think you will find it um, fascinating. Uh, and then you'll kind of get a bit bored of it yeah. very quickly, I imagine. But it's on Netflix. I think it's a Japanese show and it's called Old Enough. Have you heard of this show? No. Okay. So it's little kids doing tasks. So that's basically the whole show. <laughs> so they get like a two-year-old and they're just like, you have to go to the shops that's a kilometer away and buy like three items, like noodles, like cat food and blah, blah, blah. And then they just film it. They film these wow. little kids that have been trained by their parents to do quite like complex. And so you just see this little kid like walking along a kilometre <laughs> road by himself to get to the shops to try to remember to buy curry and find it and stuff. It's it's unreal. <laughs> well, that sounds great. And that sounds the complete opposite to what I've been watching on Netflix this week, which was the Jimmy Savile documentary. It's almost yeah. oh, the complete, <laughs> well, the complete it was opposite. All origi- it was originally going to be called Old Enough as well, but luckily the <laughs> show got in. Oh man, it is. Uh, yeah, I, the, I know a bit about the Jimmy Savile thing, but it is just crazy, like how someone can be hiding in plain sight like that. I mean, in fact, one of the people they interview even says that about him. It's like he was like a conjurer. 
Like he just kind of had an ability because they what they one of the things they do in this documentary is they keep playing clips of him where he seems to be confessing or giving little hints about you know what he's actually doing. So he's got this public persona, and they make this kind of link because he was Catholic, and he talks a lot in these interviews, hours and hours of interviews about having to atone for his sins. And so one of the journalists kind of speculates like the fact that he was doing all this charity work and he's so heavily involved in charity work. It's almost like this vicious cycle where he would do these horrendous things and then for, to, for a tone, he would like raise 40 million pounds for a, like a hospital and then do something else horrendous. And so it became this kind of like awful cycle. But it is, a, it's kind of like the Michael Jackson thing where it's like, you know, he was telling us what he was doing. Like he was sitting there holding hands with a 12-year-old boy at like a business meeting. Everyone's like, oh, you know, Michael's so quirky and weird. He's just like an artist. And it's like, no, I think, I think we, I think we've just been blinded a bit here by the by the celebrity. Yeah, like a pedophile wouldn't get on TV and hold hands with a child. <laughs> a pedophile wouldn't get on TV and look like if somebody drew a pedophile in Pictionary, like Jerry, Jimmy Savile did for fucking thirty years. Like, I mean, that would have been like that. Must people just must have had that thing where they looked at him and go, if he was a pedophile, he clearly would not. He tried to disguise. He wouldn't come dressed as a pedophile every day to this. Like that's too on the nose. Yeah, it does feel a little like that. Um, well, let's get to some mail before we go. Um, had an interesting uh, uh, bit of correspondence from uh, Jalen, who I think has written into us before. I think Jalen was the one who fed uh, a Tofop episode into the AI to come up oh, with yes. um, "Hello and thank you for watching." So. Um, Jalen says, I'm currently listening to episode 371, The Cock of the Walk, in which you are reading through a list of best time travel movies of all time from Wired. You speculate that the article must have been written by AI because it seems to have such bad taste in movies and such a lack of understanding of human society, and because the author's name, Will Bedingfield, sounds so made up that it was probably written by AI. So I thought I would it would be fun to see how an actual current machine learning model would do at writing a top 10 time travel movies list and whether it could do a better job in your eyes. So I used the same one, the GPT-3 language model, which you're familiar with, and it gave, uh, it gave it the I gave it the prompt, write an article for Wired Magazine about the top 10 time travel movies of all time. And so this was its output. So what I might do is I'll read you the AI's like little intro, and then I will alternate between Wired reviews and AI reviews, and you tell me which you think is which. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is the AI writing their intro. So just a refresher, yeah. the um, Wired intro went something like this. Um, time travel, uh, time, the ravager of youth, spoiler of milk, humanity's oldest and deadliest foe, yet in films we can conquer time easily, running it forwards and backwards, skipping into the future or past with a simple edit. Okay, so that was their little flowery intro. This is the AI's. Time travel has been a popular plot device in fiction for centuries. It's been used in novels, short stories, film, television, even video games. The appeal of time travel is obvious. Who wouldn't want to go back in time and fix a mistake or meet a historical figure or see the future? So far, pretty close, right? That doesn't sound... I mean, so far, the, the AI is better. <laughs> much more clear. <laughs> Sets up the article much better. There are countless time travel stories out there, but only a few can be considered the best of the best. Here's the top 10 time travel movies of all time. Okay, so we know that they didn't mention Back to the Future in, um, in Wired, but this is what the computer says about Back to the Future. 
This classic film about a teenage boy who accidentally travels 30 years into the past is a must-watch for any time travel fan. It's funny, heartwarming, and features one of the most iconic time travel machines in all of pop culture. Fucking exactly. The computer gets it, Will. I mean, how could Wired not include that? It's funny, heartwarming, and features one of the most iconic time travel vehicles of all time. And Wired just left it off their list. The computer gets it. Why couldn't Wired? Why couldn't Will Beddingfield? The the computer gets it and the computer gets us. This is all we wanted from our list last week. (laughs) Okay. All right. So um, both lists feature Groundhog Day. So is this from the AI or is this from um, Wired? Okay. This comedy about a weatherman who is forced to relive the same day over and over again is one of the most original and inventive time travel stories ever put on film. It's also incredibly funny and features a great performance by Bill Murray. Wired. No, that was the AI. (laughs) Okay. Um, uh, They both also list Looper. So is this AI or is this Wired? Uh, This science fiction action film is set in the future where time travel has been invented, but it's outlawed. It's a great example of how time travel could be used to create an exciting and suspenseful story. It also features some great action sequences. AI. Correct. AI. But when you read what the, the Looper plot was, I think that's a more succinct. Looper is just an airtight, fantastic action film, a compelling world sketched in under just two hours. That's the human wrote that. Yeah, man. Fucking movies generally are around two hours long. Wouldn't you expect the computer? No, no, no. I- I got to be honest with you. I guessed AI the second time, not because it sounded more like an AI, because it sounded better. I was like, that's really well written. That's definitely the AI. Uh, All right. Let's just do one bit of mail before we go. Um, This is from Chloe. uh, Dating an operating system, the movie Her. Hey, Will and Charlie, I stumbled across the movie Her last night and immediately thought of you guys. Have you heard of the movie? Have you seen it? If you were to date an operating system, whose voice would you choose for your love interest? And then uh, Chloe's conveniently uh, put in a link to Her. I've seen the movie Her. You've seen Her with Joaquin Phoenix, who falls in love with Scarlett Johansson's voice. Um, Have you seen it? Whose voice? Yeah, you have seen seen it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. Oh, like Kate Blanchett. Like I feel like Kate Blanchett has like a a voice that would be soothing to listen to regularly, but that I'd also like you know obey if it was giving me some sort of instruction. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she's played like a goddess, and she's also played like you know. Uh, uh, I I think. Whose voice? I mean, Scarlett Johansson's pretty good. She has a very, you know, it's not a famous voice, but my old therapist, uh, she had the most relaxing, soothing voice. Like it was actually a challenge sometimes to keep my eyes open <laughs> when, I was, you know, when I was delving into some childhood trauma. It was quite hard to stay awake because she would talk to me and it was like she had the most relaxing, I don't know if it was a thing that they trained psychologist in or if it was just a a natural gift but it was almost asmr level like she just had the most wonderful gentle everything will be all right kind of tone to the point where she broke up with me when she told me she was moving to another state and that i'd need to find another therapist i was like i 
can we do this over the phone still? <laughs> like, yeah. can you just like? That's, in fact, that's I'd prefer it over the phone. <laughs> yeah, and could you whisper just a little bit more? There was nothing <laughs> sexual about it. It was just like it was. It was like in the same way that certain people, like their dogs, will just like go to sleep if they. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. She was like that. Like she would talk to me, and I'd just be like, "Yeah, everything's fine, man." The fact that your father never hugged you, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's fine. It's cool. <laughs> Lots of people have, have parental issues and you've got them as well. Uh, all right. That's TOEFOP for this week. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can. You can go to patreon.com. We're just about to record a bonus TOEFOP. Every couple of weeks we get a little bonus pod goes up there. There's also a bunch of great artwork. Um, uh, everyone relax the comic strip that James does based on our podcast. There's Quantum Cops. There's great stuff that there. Uh, so that's patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. And uh, in this era of kind of um, unreliable sponsorship, it's probably the best way to support the show. And a lot of you have been sticking with this through this period uh, when we weren't putting out as much content. We appreciate that. Uh, and also we have a, a football podcast called Two Guys, One Cup, which is on the Listener app. Uh, tell people about that show, Will. Uh, well, I've actually watched some football this weekend. I've oh, great. three rounds without watching any football. I uh, watched three games of football and they were all great games. And then I was going to watch a fourth game of football, which was my team playing. And then I saw mm. the result of that game and I thought, uh, I'm not going to watch any more football. So anyway, <laughs> I've watched my three games of football I'm going to watch for the season. So tune in this week to hear me talk about that. Uh, new Fofops also on at tofop.com. Uh, last week was Dave or was that Gareth you did last week? I can't remember. Dave Anthony okay. last week. Gareth Reynolds was on a couple of weeks ago. And uh, uh, you're this week with Claire Tonti. With Claire Tonti, Planet Broadcasting and host of Suggestible and Taunts. It's great. I love Claire. Um, really great podcast. That it will be coming out on Tuesday. And I think that – oh, no, you want to plug some shows? You've got some dates and, and stuff to Oh, plug? yeah. So um, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, We're Logical, two more weeks of that. Uh, We're Logical is also going to Sydney at the Enmore and Brisbane at the Brisbane Powerhouse. And I am also doing my What You Talking About Will – Improvised show the last Sunday of the comedy festival and the last Sunday of each of the weekends. The weekend I'm in Sydney on the Sunday and the weekend I'm in Brisbane on the Sunday. Uh, the What You're Talking About Will shows are on those Sundays. Go laugh and have fun and don't think about your imminent demise, especially if you're in your mid-40s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is a TOEFOP production. Head to TOEFOP.com for more. Cool things for cool people.